All right. It's great to see you guys and uh, excited that uh, we are going to be continuing on in this series on verses. We've been talking since Easter about this idea of reconciliation and the divides that we're seeing amidst our culture, whether it's political divides, whether it's family divides, whether it's international division. Uh, there's just all kinds of just stuff going on out there where people are angry at people and all this kind of ideology and all these things are happening. And we've been really discussing what is it going to take to bring people together. And we began at Easter and we said, hey, look, God is a God of reconciliation. He is a God who brings people together. And it began when Jesus himself died on the cross and rose from the dead to reconcile us to God. Jesus bore all of our sins to, and gave us what we needed to stand with him in order and before God in order that we'd be reconciled. And then he sent us out to be reconcilers. And so we kind of dealt with some objections. And last week we started with a conversation really to look at ourselves and said, hey, what is it that we've got to own? What is it that you and I, in our, in our divisions, what sins do we need to identify in our hearts and then lay out as we deal with them? And so that's, that's kind of where we took and left it off. And to be honest, one of the things I've been trying to do as we go through this process is to try to live out the process as much as possible. Because I, I don't want to really want to be that much of a hypocrite up here than I already am. But the reality is that it, that takes a lot of soul searching and a little frustration, and, to be honest. And um, some of the more fearful and painful things that have gone on in my life have been kind of drudging up. For example, Back when I was in high school, um, I was on the basketball team, enjoyed basketball. In fact, in junior high, I, I think this is where it kind of started. I had a problem um, with my knee. And so my doctor actually said, you can't do PE for, your, for, uh, for a long time until you get older. And this was like an older doctor who hadn't been caught up on the research that that's not what you did for this particular problem with the knee. So I ended up spending an entire um, semester of junior high being the hall monitor. That is the worst way to start junior high career in all of your life. So I'm running around taking people's attendances and doing all that stuff. And inevitably, eventually I get to go outside. Well, they all know me as this kid who's the hall monitor instead of getting to play basketball. So I'm playing basketball, and this one kid takes a dislike to me, apparently, and has constantly, from that point on, as we both ended up on the basketball team and on, decided to hone his bagging skills. Now, if you don't know what bagging was or is, I don't even know what they call it that anymore. It was the the ability for students to, in high school or junior high to basically belittle one another and see how good you were at belittling each other in order to get laughs and other things from other people. And so one in particular person, this guy who I'd grown up with from junior high until my, my sophomore to junior year of high school, took me as the primary target. And as he continued constantly over and over and over to use his bagging skills on me, other guys laughing, I'm not very quick-witted. I'm horrible at bagging. Um, it, it just kind of settled into you. When you go through six or five to six years of, of constantly being ripped on and pulled apart and poked at and made fun of, you get angry. And inside of me, honestly, was a very strong bitterness that began to form. Unfortunately for me, that bitterness kind of has erupted in various manners in, in my own life, in which oftentimes anybody who identified in that kind of a category that he was in, we'd call that like cool. If you, if you looked like a cool person where you thought you were all that in a bag of chips, automatically I had a problem with you. I was ready to just toss you out, belittle you, try to do whatever I could intellectually to make you feel inferior because you fit the scenario of this guy and his friends. And I've been dealing with that, but the picture that I want to show you is just how far unforgiveness can take you. 
that it can begin to tear you into a position where, you, where you're pigeonholing and dividing people all around you. And in fact, what we need to do if we're going to do reconciliation is not so much just, conf- just confess what we've done wrong, but we need to now deal with the question of forgiveness. We have to deal with the idea that how am I going to release others? And so forgiveness is one of the key pieces in any form of reconciliation, especially our reconciliation with God. God forgave us, as we will see, and therefore we wind up being people who need to forgive as well. And we get this primarily from Matthew chapter 18. I want to tell you about forgiveness from Jesus' mouth. And so grab a Bible. You can open it up there to page 823, and the Bible's in the seats if you don't have one. You can join with us right there. And And Jesus is teaching on this idea of sin and forgiveness right now. And Jesus is talking about this idea of of needing to forgive and and needing to forgive people when they've sinned against you or done wrong. Now, for those of you who haven't been here with the rest of the series, we started off talking about sin as a rebellion against God. And sin is this rebellion against God in which you seek to serve your own needs in your own way. You ignore the maker's instructions and his provision in order to get what you want when, the way you want it. And, and that's really primarily the problem with sin. And all of us have been involved in that rebellion. We've indicated it through a couple easy ways. Number one, simply lying. Nobody here hasn't lied. If, you, if you're claiming you haven't lied, you're a liar. And so the reality is we are all in that rebellion. We've all joined onto this situation which we're pushing against God to get what we want the way we want it, instead of going with what God, God providing our needs in the way that he desires to do so. So that being said, we've got a problem because that sin is against God. God has given you, our, given you and me his ID in a sense. We're walking around with his credentials because he made us in his image. We're to represent God. And so every single time you and I sin, every time we act like a liar, we're actually claiming God's a liar. Every time we walk around and we gossip, we claim God's a gossip. When we walk around and we lust, we claim God lusts. When we are murdering, hateful, angry, whatever, we claim, oh, that's what God's like. And that's pretty insulting if you ever had your ID stolen and you get accused of things you didn't do. That's why God's upset. And so we get a picture of this idea of forgiveness now in Matthew 18. As God's talking about these things, are, as we're, God's talking about the fact that we do this to each other, how do we handle this? He says, first, we, we identify it. Second, don't tempt each other. And third, now he says, we need to forgive. So let's look at this. Verse 23, starting there. Jesus has just answered a question of Peter, and he moves forward to say, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. So in the ancient world, the, this king would have slaves and uh, they would come in because most slaves were not um, in our, mo- this is not a modern slavery situation, what we had in America. It's a different form. These are indentured servants, usually um, captured people from overseas or something like that, but they would be given charge of the household funds and the household goods. So these guys are doing the business work for the king. And so he's calling all of his servants in to settle their accounts. He gives them money or he loans them out things to do stuff in their life. And he says, now it's time for me to get my money back. And so when he began to settle, one was brought to him that owed him 10,000 talents. Now right there, your mind just went, oh, that's a lot of money, $10,000. That's a lot. No, a talent is not a dollar. A talent is 20 years of wages. Catch that. 20 years of wages. Let's just say the average person makes $40,000 in this, you know, and that would be a year's wage. Multiply that times 20 times 10,000. This guy owes this man $8 billion. 
What does he think he is, the government? I mean, this is ridiculous. How do you spend $8 billion? Where, I mean, he must have an opulent mansion, throwing a lot of great parties, has his own personal jet or something. They didn't even jets back then to, to blow $8 billion on. But this is a, the point is, this is an unforgivable amount. This is a ridiculous amount, so great. Nobody's ever seen this much money before, let alone how in the world does a king have this? And so we sit here with this situation. He owes him $8 billion. And so when he, and since he could not pay, verse 25 says, and we all said, Duh. His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children, all that he had, and payment be made. So he's going to just liquidate all the assets and try to get whatever he can back from this $8 billion that is owed to him. So the servant, verse 26, fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything. Why aren't you laughing? That's funny. This guy owes $8 billion, and he's a slave. He doesn't make his own money out there. He doesn't run off and go make sure. No, all the money he makes is made because his king gives it to him, and he owes him $8 billion. How is he going to pay back $8 billion? Exactly. He's not. It's an impossibility. This is so high, so astronomical, and he's sitting there with his little, please forgive me. And yet... Out of pity for him, verse 27 says, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him. This guy owes him a hundred dollars. No, a hundred denarii would be roughly equate to about $10,000. So it owes him about $10,000, which isn't a small amount, but it's not compared to what, he's, what he has to be forgiven. Not to mention, now we know where some of the $8 billion went. He was loaning it out to other guys. So now he's owed $10,000 of his master's money. And what does he do? He comes up to this guy and he seizes him and he begins to choke him saying, pay what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. And he refused. I wouldn't put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt, that $8 billion, because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So, you, so also, Jesus says, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Gulp. That just turned really chilling. The reality of forgiveness becomes a serious endeavor if you and I have claimed we've been forgiven by God. You see, that mountain of $8 billion in the picture here is actually the mountain of debt that we owe. How many times have we misrepresented God? How many bad things have we done as God's image to show off Him in bad light? How many, bad, how many misspoken words, untruths, lies, deceptions, lusts, gossips, vanity, pride, arrogance, how much have we amassed against God? I, I get freaked out because then as a father, I'm responsible for my family's sins. As a pastor, I'm responsible for your guys' sins. I got a lot to pay for here, guys. Help me out, please. 
But the reality is that we've all got this massive amount of sin, huge, piled up so high we can't see where it ends, and we come to God and we think a little, would you please forgive me, is going to handle it? And yet it does. You see, Jesus on the cross bore on himself that mountain of debt. He sucked it into himself, and he gave us his right standing. He had never amassed a single sin against God because he was God and gave us what we needed so we could stand with God. That's, that's, that's a huge gift. And then we turn around and we can't forgive somebody else for their slights or their sins against us. And so forgiveness is a must when it comes to reconciliation because we've been forgiven. And that's really where we start, that forgiveness is a must. It has to occur. It's part of the requirements that goes into reconciliation. We can't simply go out there and just confess our sins and expect relationships to be healed. No, there's a lot more that needs to go on than just a confession of sins. And maybe you did that this week. Maybe you got out there and you actually had that list of sins and you found that person and you said, I need to make this right. I need to connect in and make it right with that person. You know, I had a chance to do that at a banquet this week, and I went up to that person to say, hey, I need a time to make this right with you. Scariest, most uncomfortable part of my week, but I'm praying for great things to come out of it. But the reality is some of you guys did the same thing, and you actually went through your sins, and you started laying them out. And maybe, maybe you ran into the fact that that person didn't forgive you. Maybe you actually received back from, oh, thanks, yeah, thanks for finally admitting that, and they just walked away. What do you do with that? Because some of us are going and we realize we got we to gotta, we gotta go and tell what we've done wrong. But now you, you, you see this and you think, well, that means they have to forgive me. No, no, no. I'm expected in myself to forgive others because I'm a Christian. That's the way of Christian life. You're expected in your life as a Christian to forgive others, but I can't expect that of you. That's God's job to expect that. If you go after somebody and you confess your sin and you make an apology expecting them to forgive you and they don't, now you have something else that you have to expect them to forgive you for, right? You just added another slight. You didn't forgive me. You're supposed to forgive me. I can't believe you didn't forgive me. I'm not forgiving that. You didn't forgive me. You know, that's, uh, that's just, you get spun up again. You can't go with the expectation of forgiveness. Let me put it this way. We apologize, but don't expect forgiveness, and vice versa. Forgive, but don't expect an apology. And when it comes to forgiveness, then, what I'm trying to do is put all the onus on you and all the onus on me. It's my responsibility to apologize. It's not my responsibility to expect them to forgive me. It's my responsibility to forgive, but I don't expect an apology. There are people I have forgiven in my life and I will never, ever see them again. There are people in my life I've forgiven and I see them every Thanksgiving and every Easter and every Christmas. They're, they're the hard ones to forgive, amen? But you, you forgive them, even if they've never apologized. Because it's not about the apology. Forgiveness is about something completely different. The reason we get this mixed up is we kind of have a tendency to believe that if I go to this person, I say, I'm sorry, I did these things. We think when they say, I forgive you, that now you're off. You're like, okay, I'm, all the guilt can go away now. I feel so much better. But some of you know that you've gone to somebody, you've received forgiveness, and you still don't feel the guilt has left you. You still feel guilty. You're still walking around. Some of you even said things like, I just can't forgive myself for doing that. And, if you've ever said, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but if you ever said that to yourself, here's the problem. You understand something. You understand that guilt is not alleviated by human beings. 
Did you know they, nobody in this room can alleviate you of your guilty feelings? They may forgive you, but that doesn't mean you feel less guilty. Because when you go to somebody, check this out, and I say, hey, I confess, this is what I did. Now I feel like I'm going to, and you, they say, oh, I forgive you. You feel less guilty. No, you just admitted you're guilty. Think about it. You didn't go to them and say, I'm guilty. No, I'm not guilty anymore because I said I'm guilty. No, you are guilty. You're even more guilty now because you've admitted it. And so you walk away sometimes feeling the weight of why did I do that? And you won't forgive yourself. But God has already forgiven you if you've gone to Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ has taken your sin on the cross, he's forgiven you of your guilt. And here's the problem. Guilt is only relieved by God or a God. If you don't have God, the Christian God who has borne your sins on the cross, who set you free, if you don't trust that God, the only God you have is yourself. If you can't forgive yourself, you're playing God. Because you have just put yourself in your own courtroom. You are saying, I am the arbiter of when I'm set free or not. No, you're not. God is the only arbiter. He's the only one who is allowed to set people free. And if he set you free in Christ, he has set you free indeed, the scripture says. Why are you holding yourself in contempt? Who are you? Unless you're your own God. And it's a, great, it's a great thing to remind yourself that, hey, wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm playing God. And Theology 101 says there is a God and I'm not him. That's, that's the baseline. That's all. If you know that, you've, you've just begun theology. There's a God, I'm not him. But what happens when I feel guilty, I'm not letting myself go. I'm guilty because I'm going to keep myself guilty. No, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, he has borne your sins, he's taken them away, he has dealt with them forever, and you need to trust God that God has done that. And stop holding yourself. If you've gone through and you've made it right with somebody and you still feel guilty and you made it right with God, you need to get off yourself and you need to stop being the God of your life. And you need to have God release you, trust that he's done that. Now again, we go and we give those apologies, we don't expect it. And only God can release that. Hebrews 10.22. So let us draw near with God then with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean by the work of Christ is what he's talking about from an evil conscience or a guilty conscience. It's the work of Christ that cleans your conscience, that makes you right again. If you're sitting there feeling guilty, remember what Christ has done, that frees your conscience. Now, what is forgiveness though? I've been talking about this a little bit, um, and I've been trying to kind of bear out what not to expect in relationship to confession, what to expect. But what is forgiveness? A lot of people say, oh, you forgive and forget. Forget, you just forget what they did, and that's forgiveness. Nope, that's not forgiveness. If you've ever tried to forgive somebody, it's almost insulting for some of you to say forgiveness is to forget. The thing that they've done to you, that that person, that spouse, maybe it's that ex-spouse now because of what they've done. Or that parent, or maybe it was that step-parent, or, or perhaps it was that coworker or that plaintiff who sued you wrongly in your mind because you didn't do anything wrong. Maybe it's that friend who was once a friend but no longer a friend. We've all got these stories. We've all got that person who gave you those negative terms, those negative words. We've got this person who's stolen from you, who's harmed you in some way. They may be sitting next to you right now, so just hold on. But the reality is we have them. And the pain in the midst of this to forget is like, no way. I can't forget that. And so you don't think you can forgive that. Well, that's not forgiveness. 
Forgiveness is obviously also not vengeance. Some of us actually think if we got vengeance on them, we could just solve the problem and make them pay for it, then I would feel better. And if, you're, if you have an ex-spouse or you have some other person in your life that you've been trying to make them pay, guess what? It's not working, is it? Guy, when you try to make somebody pay, it just makes you angrier. In fact, when you make them pay, they get angry at you and then they try to make you pay. And so you try to make them pay. It's called a cycle of vengeance. It happens on the gang streets. It happens between Republicans and Democrats. It happens in, in civil wars. It happens in war in general. The primary problem in our world is the lack of forgiveness. Can I say that again? The primary problem in our world, in our ideologies, in your homes, is a lack of of forgiveness. And if we will learn what forgiveness is and practice it, we'll begin to see we're free from these people who have harmed us. Well, what does it look like? What is forgiveness? I'm going to put it this way. Forgiveness is to cut the cord. I'm going to, I'm going to need Bob here for a second, so come on up, Bob, for me. And Bob's going to, would you guys welcome Bob up? He's going to be my, uh, my mannequin. So Bob's going to be up here today and he's going he's gonna to be our illustration for a second. And we're going pre- to pretend here for a minute, Bob, that you sinned against me, which he actually has, so I'm pretty angry right now. No, I'm just kidding. You haven't. The, uh, and, and we'll just say he sins against me. So go ahead and push me. All right. I didn't say that hard. All right. And so, the, so he sins against me. So now he's incurred a debt of guilt. His sin's bad enough that it, it's, kind of, it's kind of cost him some problems. He's pretty upset. He feels the guilt. Now, also, we can pretend that I'm holding a piece of paper. I could hand over to him. We'll just use my wallet. You owe me now because you, you have a bill that you owe me. Yeah, put that. There's, there's not, I'm a pastor. There's nothing in it. So, the, um, the, the, so he, we've got this tension going on between us. In fact, what's interesting is I get to attach the guilt, his guilt to me because there's a harm that's occurred. So now we're walking around and I'm connected to the same guilt. Now let's say Bob realizes what he did wrong and he comes to me and he apologizes to me. In fact, he does everything to make the debt right. Go ahead and make the debt right. You're such a good man. I don't know what you took out of there, but I'm just kidding. Yeah. So he, he makes the debt right. Now check this out. I, he can make all the debt right. He could do everything right towards me, but I'm not going to forgive him. Some of you, somebody's made it right with you. They came, they apologized, they did everything they could. They even paid you back. And you're still sitting there, well, you should have never done that in the first place. Oh, that's nice. I'm glad you figured it out, Bob. Great. Well, now here's what else Bob does. Bob realizes that he's done that right because he's getting right with the Lord. And he realizes that the Lord has set him free by bearing his sins on the cross. And so what happens to your burden of your guilt? Nope, you can take it off. You don't get to take it off me. I didn't forgive you. And now you're free. You can go worship God. Go sit down and listen to the sermon. So, the, uh, so now he's free. But check this out. I haven't forgiven him. That guilt, I still am holding his guilt on him. Now he's gone. God set him free. He's out. He's good. He's made it right. He owes me nothing technically. He is free because he's able to go sit down. I'm not letting it go. Heck No. You know what he did to me? Oh, let me tell you. Every time his name is mentioned, you start talking about what he did to you. And oh, I'm glad he's nice to that guy. And oh, no, 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 no. And guess what? If this is what we do with one thing, I guarantee you got a whole bunch more attached to you. Eventually, you're walking around because you haven't figured out how to forgive yet. And all you're doing is carrying everybody. This is really lame, isn't it? Just walking around. 
and drugged down by everybody else's. They're all guilty. Everybody around me is always a problem. And I guarantee you got a problem. You're probably addicted to something. Because it does not feel good to be drugged down by everybody else having all this resentment on you. All everybody else's problems and everybody does something to me and that's called bitterness. Oh, that ideology. Oh, those people. Oh, that nation. Oh, that group of people. They're always, that's all bitterness. And what is hanging on you is your inability to let them go. Cut the cord. And so as we drag other people's guilt around with us, though they may be completely free, no, you just can't. And maybe this is hitting home for you as it hits home for me, but the reality is we're, we're in a major problem because bitterness makes you a grumpy, old, angry person. No, it's not your personality. It's unforgiveness. You maybe thought all those temptations that you give into is because you're a weak Christian and you just can't seem to get things right in your life. No, it's a foothold by the enemy who told you to let go of your bitterness and let go of your anger so you can be free. It's a foothold. And the enemy uses that and he tempts you through it because when you get angry, you want to change your mood. You don't look to God because, you know what, honestly, sometimes what we're angry at is God. We're carrying around this mess. What's forgiveness? The word in Hebrew is actually the request for somebody else to bear up your sin, to carry it away from you. And so they would lay their hands on an animal who would take their guilt away. But it was required of the person to carry it away, to let it go, to let them be released. And so you literally have to get to the point where you cut the cord. Notice it doesn't cut immediately the first time. Now, forgiveness is not forgetfulness. You'll carry it around. The memory will be with you. But the weight has been borne away by a greater being than you. And in your forgiveness, yes, at first it hurts. And yeah, it's going to take some time to cut it away. But now they're, you're free. Oh, I can move again. I'm, I'm unencumbered. Your mood will change. The bitterness and the root of evil that's going on inside of you will be released and removed. And the reality is that you are indeed forgiven and you have forgiven. This is so important. It's not about forgetting what they've done to you. It's not even about learning from what they've done to you. It's about releasing them from your courtroom. So you don't have to stand and be guard all the time. So you don't have to be judge all the time. You just advanced it to a higher court. And if you're learning this later in life, oh man, I wish you'd learn this young. And those of you who learned it later in life, just say amen with me, please. Because you younger people, you need to hear this, learn to forgive and learn to forgive fast. We need to be forgiving kind of people because we've been forgiven of so much. Now, how do we do this then? How do we work out forgiveness? And I want to walk through this here at the end. We've forgiven a few steps. First of all, the first step is this. Accept that you must cut the cord by carrying their burden. What I mean by this is this. Let's go back to this king. Here's this king who, he, this guy, a massive amount, $8 billion of debt is against this king. And this king goes, I forgive you. Now, did he get paid back? Yes or no? No. He absorbed the cost. 
He's not going to see a dime of that back when he forgives this guy. Everything that this guy makes is given from the king. He's not going to get anything back. Plus, it's plus interest, you know. When you take out a loan, size of $8 billion, that's a lot of interest, don't you think? When you incur a problem, if you go to court, if you've ever been in court, you don't just pay back the person, you pay back a person plus what? Penalty. Justice always incurs a penalty. Every single one of our sins has incurred not just the sin itself, but a penalty added on. We can never pay it back. It's too much, and it's accruing interest every day, plus the additions of the things that we continue to do. And yet God cut it, and he says, I absorb it. Jesus Christ on the cross, this is why Jesus had to be God, had to hang there and literally absorb like a sponge our sin. They call it imputation. Big terminology means it was imputed upon him. He actually became our sin on the cross. And there, as he brought that in, he gave to you, he imputed to you his right standing. That sin was between us and God, Jesus had perfect access to God. And he says, here, I give you that perfect access. I give you that perfect relationship. It's yours. So when you stand before God on the judgment day, you will see that there's nothing between you and God. A pile of sin was taken by Jesus Christ. And he sucked it in. He absorbed it. So likewise, when you and I live out the gospel and we forgive people, you're going to have to be willing to absorb some of the payment. You may, you know, you're not going to see it made right. Not, not by them paying everything back. You have to be willing to just say, you know what? I'm going to suck it in and drink it. All the vengeance, all the stuff, all the pain I think you should have, I'm just going to suck it in and absorb it. I'm going to carry your burden away. That's hard and scary unless you know Jesus Christ. I think it's impossible if you don't. I really don't know how you're going to be able to forgive without it growing into bitterness if you don't understand these next two steps. Because the next step is critical. You have to release them to God's justice. Otherwise, whose justice are they going to get? If there is no God in this world, yes, evil is going to go on and people are going to get away with it. And you should be bitter and angry and do everything you can. Become a vigilante superhero and go stop every bad guy you can because it's the only way out. No, no, no. There's no possibility for that. But God, who opens the high court one day in eternity, sees everything. He's not a God of blind justice. Though he sees no partiality, he saw everything. There's not an issue of evil that has ever occurred in the history of mankind that will not come before his face on the day of judgment. And every single thing that we've forgiven is because we've released it from our court where we drag it around and we put it in his court where he will deal with it exactly right. God puts it this way. Paul writes in Romans, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Vengeance isn't ours. We're a lousy at vengeance. We do way more than is necessary. Or we just let people off. And either way, We feel like an injustice has occurred. But God is perfect. He'll do exactly the right amount, never more, never less, for every instance. And every single bit of evil that I have committed will be judged exactly correctly. And that's scary to me. 
to stand before God to explain my life and why reasons and why I did these things. But I praise God that that pile of sin that may be laid out that day, I know how the court trial ends. He says, paid in full, done, finished. It's over. And so we have this reality that we have been forgiven, absorbed. The, the end of the court scene's already given to you and to me. And so he says, trust me, I will handle every evil. So that person, that ex, that coworker, that past employer, that church that has caused that pain to you, they, God is the one who will totally and ultimately handle it. And can you let him do that? You have to be able to let him do that. You have to trust that he's just. You have to trust that he's going to handle it. He said, but he's going to let him off. He's going to let him receive Jesus, and then they're going to be in heaven with me. Isn't that what we want, though? I mean, really? Do you even want your enemy to go to hell? Let's be honest. I don't want my worst enemy in the world to go to hell. Sure, I may want him to suffer a little bit on earth because I'm that way. As my dad said, you know, don't just, you know, don't get mad, just get even. But the reality is that, that that's not going to happen. It's not. God is going to deal with it rightly, but I don't want them to go to hell. I would love them to find Jesus Christ. I would love that to be absorbed there because then it's been dealt with because guess what? If I don't want that for him, why do I want it for me? That's a hypocrite. That I'm cool, Jesus died for me, but not for that guy. Well, who's sitting out there in this world saying that about me? Because there are people out there saying that. And the reality is that we have to trust God. He's going to handle it. And so that's the second move. Where you got to trust God can handle the justice. You also got to trust that he can handle everything else. God's in control of that person. Too often what we do is we go, okay, God, you've got this. You've got the justice. But, oh, I'm not going to let them enjoy their life. I'm going to control the scenario. They get the kids at this time and this and they're this and they're this. Now, obviously, these are messy situations. They're not all flat and easy. But maybe the situation is that this person has made it right. And maybe this person has confessed things and done things to, to reconcile. But you're just not forgiving yet. Maybe they haven't said anything. Again, you forgive without expecting an apology. Your heart has to be right. You need to cut the cord because you need to be right with God. He's forgiven you much. You've got to be able to forgive. And so that trust that God's got them. He's got control. He's over their life. He's leading them through it. If that leads to the cross, we praise God and we pray for that. Because everything will be made right in the end. But if not, we, pr we pray for them. You see, Joseph was this young guy in the end of the first book of the Bible who found himself in probably what I would consider one of the most tragic situations, something none of us have faced because none of us have been sold into slavery by our brothers. And indeed, he was. His 11 brothers decide, we don't like this punk, and they sold him, or 10 brothers, but sold him into slavery and whisked him off down into Egypt, where as a slave, he finds himself falsely accused by his bosses, by his master's wife of sleeping with her and violating and making adultery, so he's thrown into jail. Where in jail, he's suffering one of the worst prison systems in history. Finding himself in misery, he meets two of the Pharaoh's own people and tells them both what's going to happen through a dream and says, hey, when you're set free, remember me, and he's forgotten for two years. Injustice after injustice after injustice, till suddenly he finds himself in charge of the entire kingdom under Pharaoh. 
His brothers come marching in, the very ones who put him in that injustice, and, and, he's, and he plays a little game with them because, you know, he's human, he's not Jesus. And so all this mess happens. And see, you know, dad dies, and his brothers are like, please don't hurt us. We know you're being nice because dad was here. He's like, hold time out. No, no, I've forgiven you guys. What's his reasoning for forgiving them? He says this in Genesis 50, 20. He says, as for you, you meant it in evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Do you realize God is the first judo expert? Judo is the use of somebody else's power against them, and he uses every evil thing, every evil plot, intention, and situation, and he flips it and manipulates it and uses it towards the good. And he has promised you that if you have trusted that Jesus Christ has borne your sins, he gave you that reconciled relationship with him. If you're on the reconciled part and not in the rebellion, he tells you, God, God's going to make everything work to the good. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. But if you're on the rebellious side of the ledger, I want to tell you something. It doesn't work to good. And that's a frightening thought. It doesn't work to your good. In fact, it works that all this evil means you're going to have to suffer for your own evil. How many people have we marked on? How many people have we messed up against? How many people have we done evil against? And we're, that's not going to work to our good because we're going to pay for it. But if God has reconciled you, he's taken that sin from you, he's absorbed it into his, into his son, and Jesus has given you what you need, he takes all the evil of this world and he turns it and judos it into a situation in which you and I see the good work out of it. See, I think of that guy years ago making fun of me on the, in that bus and in the, on the playground and all that stuff that was going on to me. I go, why in the world do I have to go through that? And to be quite honest, there's two good reasons. One was so that I could have more sensitivity to people I saw who were put in that situation. When I was able to identify with those guys in the youth group and connect with them and saw a lot of those students rise up and get stronger, and the second was so I'd have some really good sermon fodder against him over the years. No, I'm just kidding. That's vengeance talk. I'm just messing with you. But the reality is that I, I have forgiven him, but the memories still hang on. And I've had to give him up to God, and I've had to let his life go. And as I get inklings about what happened to him, yeah, unfortunately, sometimes my heart goes, good, I'm so glad he's there. <laughs> and I got to go back to forgiveness. But I'm trusting God's working that out. I'm trusting God's got control of his life. And I'm praying that he would find and know the Lord, that he doesn't have to face the things that he has done in eternity, but can face them today, confess them, make them right, and then begin to move forward. But I need to start by forgiving him before he's even apologized. And so step four means that i got to repeat this sometimes daily. I think you should repeat forgiveness daily. You know why? Because Jesus taught us to. In that big move called the Sermon or Sermon on the Mount, in the big sermon, he gives us his big prayer called the Lord's Prayer. And then he tells us, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. If we're supposed to pray, give us this day our daily bread, how many times should we pray this? Every day, right? It's an everyday prayer. Jesus says, pray like this, and he says, on this day, give us what we need. This is an amazing prayer if you stop and look at it. Our Father in heaven, we want you to be God. Let your name be holy. 
It's not about us. We want your will done, not ours. Step one, let them have control. Let him be the just judge of the universe. It's his kingdom, not ours. Step two, I'm going to be dependent upon you. I'm not going to be in rebellion. I'm going to do it your way, and I'm not going to try to get what I need. You're going to give me what I need, and I trust you. Step three, I ask you to forgive me of my mountain of debt, and I'll forgive others because I trust you're in charge, that you're giving me what I need, you've got the control, and your justice will reign. And Jesus teaches us then that daily we got to do this because sometimes that cord just doesn't cut the first time. It takes seven, eight, nine, one thousand, one hundred, you know, how many times? Sometimes it takes a lifetime of forgiving. Every day. Sometimes it's going to take you more than that. In fact, that's my last point. Just prepare to do it again. Once you've gone through step one, where you've, you're willing to bear it, step two, you move into that situation where you release them to God in his justice and his control. You repeat that every day, and sometimes you've got to do it more than once a day. You just get ready to do it again because we've got to be ready to do it again. God's constantly forgiving us, guys. He's constantly forgiving us. He's forgiven me thousands of times every day for little thoughts and vanities and angers and frustrations that are just wrong and sinful. And when you're aware of it, suddenly you go like, wow, I got a problem. Yeah, it's called sin. And he loves us that much that he's forgiving us. He loves us that much that he's releasing us. So prepare to do it again. Prepare to be freed again. Yeah, the memory's there. That's why you got to keep on going through it. So I want to give you a simple prayer that'll help you guys work through that. And that's this. Whoops. Oh, this is how much, how often we're supposed to do this. Yes, Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? If I forgive him seven times, which would have been a lot in their day, he says, nope, 77 times perfectly. Always be prepared to pray. Always be prepared to forgive. Always be prepared to forgive. Always be prepared to forgive. And so here's your, here's your simple prayer. It's written, in your, it's written in, your, um, in your handouts, your bulletins. And so I want you guys to be able to have this opportunity to kind of just work through this. And maybe there's somebody in your mind as you've been thinking about it. There's that, that past friend, that, that, that ex-spouse. Maybe it's that coworker or whatever. Maybe it is a church, a pastor, or somebody who's harmed you. You need to get to that place where you've cut that cord. And it starts with a simple prayer. God, I forgive, and you fill in their name. And I release this person to you. I release them to you. I trust you'll take care of me. You'll take care of them. And you'll make everything right. And this follows through the steps. And you may need to say that for a lot of times every day. You may need to say that for the rest of your life for that person. But it begins to move us, to release us, to set us free. God, I forgive them and I release them to you. I trust you take care of me and them and make everything right. Bitterness is not something you should carry with you. And it's not a way that we're going to move forward to bring reconciliation to these divided issues. But we need to be ready to forgive those Facebook trolls and those uh, people who say mean things about our photos on Instagram. You know, we need to be ready to release them. But the reality is we've got tons to forgive. And we need to be ready if we're going to live as free people because our God has set us free. Let's pray. Father, would you just help us as we do navigate these situations? God, how many people are there that we got to let go of that we've been carrying around? And Lord, we just were dragging that weight of their guilt with us and we don't even know if they feel it anymore. 
But Lord, right now, we just confess to you that you are in control and we are not. We trust them to your justice. We ask you to help us absorb that cost so that you would be exalted and you would be known in our lives. That perhaps in time, we may be able to move to that great thing that you call reconciliation. But we pray and ask for your aid in this moment because we need your powerful forgiveness to guide us because you are the first to forgive and you've shown us the way. Help us, though it may be hard. In Jesus' name, amen.